Hi guys, welcome to this training on the political realm and our role in it as believers. When I first developed the Ecclesia training, I felt like the Lord wanted me to definitely put in there uh, some political teaching, but I didn't quite know what way he wanted to go, exactly what he wanted in there, etc. So I actually sat on it for probably well, I don't know, it might be at least nine months, possibly a year. I can't remember now when I launched the uh, Church Shift uh, Curriculum and Network. And um, so this is an inaugural teaching on politics and the Christian and our role in it because there's a lot of stuff that's taught out there, not just politics. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's taught out there uh, that are supposed to be Christian principles that are supposed to help us live a victorious life that actually keep to, keep us bound up. And uh, I think a lot of the teaching that's been out there concerning uh, politics and the believer's role has actually caused great damage not only to uh, us as the people of God, but also our nation. And so I'm going to go in depth in this. This should be about five uh, lessons unless there's a part one and part two I never know until I start recording and then also this is gonna be on our podcast we the deplorables as well uh, and all the teaching is free of charge the only thing we ask is that you sign up and then you can always unsubscribe if we if you find that we're not a good fit for you but there's no fee for any of this training including church shift so uh, I want to dive in and I got my little handy dandy uh, probably can go like sideways here that way it's not in the video let's see let me try this out okay here we go ah, very good very good okay so I want to start in Matthew uh, chapter six, 16 verses 15 through 20 I'll be reading dominantly out of the um, English Standard Version as well as the Passion Version you know what's weird so I know this has nothing to do with it but I've been having like shoulder pain and I realize like, this feels crooked to me when I have my head like this. But if I have it like a little bit over, it feels normal. But it's crooked, and it, that could be a big reason my shoulder hurts. Hmm. It's interesting what you find on camera. But anyway, okay, so Matthew 16, he said to him, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, so as you've learned in the Ecclesia training, the word church here is not kurios, which is the Greek word for church. Instead, he uses ecclesia, which is a ruling council. Now, let me read you uh, from my notes of that lesson called the ancient battle real fast. Ecclesia is the Greek word Jesus used for the church in Matthew 16, 18 in describing how the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. 
By the time of Christ, the word ecclesia had been in use for over 600 years. It had specific, well-acknowledged connotations. When early believers heard ecclesia, they did not think of a building, but instead they thought of a ruling body. It was a political term, not a religious one. The ecclesia was an assembly of the government in Greek city-states, open to all male citizens over the age of 18. The ecclesia was responsible for declaring war, military strategy, and electing military generals and other officials, including chief magistrates of the city-state. Members voted on decrees, treaties, and law proposals. This means that when Jesus said he was going to build his ecclesia, he meant he was going to build his governmental center. He was going to establish his ruling body with the revelation that he is the Messiah and the supreme ruler of the earth. The gates of hell would not prevail against the kind of assembly Jesus intended to build. All you needed were uh, two to three individuals to form an ecclesia in any location in the Roman Empire, no matter how far away you were from the city of Rome. When you formed an ecclesia and decreed something as lawful, which is what loosing means in our text, or unlawful, which means which is binding in our text, you had the full might of the Roman government and army behind you. Okay, so what this means is collectively, Christ's followers are His government center on the earth. And as such, we're to make sure that the ideas we share in the form of sermons and teachings and other material support the original intent of the Lord. And I go into why this is so important and why the word church was used to replace council, uh, except for two. So there's like 118, I believe, places that the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament. And either two or three of those are the only ones translated council. The rest are translated church, which doesn't make sense because, again, curios was the word for uh, church and ecclesia for council or assembly. And so I get into all of that. Again, you can get it at church, uh, churchshift.com. Okay, so all of the uh, teachings and the sermons that we uh, produce, that we write, that we listen to, should support the idea that we as individuals are part of his ruling council on earth. Unfortunately, much of what's taught today is more along the lines of a religious organization. Here's another little snippet from that lesson, Ancient Battle. It says, Now the Lord could have used any other word, like maybe Eda or Kahal, I believe is how you say it, and even synagogue. But instead, he chose a secular word that was governmental in nature. It had been used for 600 years at this point and nowhere was it used of heathen religious assemblies. So in other words, ecclesia has never ever been used to refer to a religious organization. It's only used to refer to a ruling organization or what we might call today a political organization. Now, why is this so important that this council be built upon the foundation that he is a Christ? Because where he says up there, upon this foundation I will build my church, he was not referring to Peter. Uh, in fact, the word Peter 
is a little pebble in the Greek. The, uh, upon this rock, I will build my church. Rock is like a huge rock, like the rock of Gibraltar. So the rock that he's referring to is a revelation that he is the Christ. That is what he is building his ruling council upon, okay? The reason is because he's the only rightful ruler of uh, all kingdoms, all nations of the earth. Now, Psalm 2 is going to become an increasingly important psalm to understand because we are in this time. And it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give the nations, uh, make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be warned and be wise, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for that his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the decree from father is, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the, make the nation your inheritance. So what's happening here is Father is decreeing that Jesus, as God in the flesh, the Christ, is his son, and he is the ruler of the earth, and all the nations will be his heritage. Now, the nations have a choice. They can be his, his inheritance by choice, or they can be his inheritance by power when he returns. Okay, now Revelation 19, 16 says on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then Psalm 110, 1 through 2 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, so the word anointed in Psalm 2 is where the term Messiah comes from, or Christos, or Christ in the Greek version. Now, as the anointed one, the Messiah, he is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords. The government of God rests upon his shoulder, and he's right now ruling uh, through his people. In the midst of his enemies, he's ruling through his ecclesia. That's us. And as stated in the lesson that I referred to above, uh, called Ancient Battle, part of the uh, initial ecclesia training that you go through, our mission is to reverse the curse of Mount Hermon by expanding his rule throughout the nations. Now, I don't have time to get into that. You really need to listen to that lesson, uh, and it's not in the podcast, 
but it is at churchshift.com because I go all into what is the curse of Mount Hermon, what exactly is, you know, is uh, the ancient writers of the Bible and even extra biblical sources referring to when they talk about reversing the curse. So we see that in Psalm 2, Jesus asked for the nations. That's what he wants. Therefore, if Jesus asked for nations, Father promised him nations, then what should be our focus? Nations. But instead, we're focused on church activity or our families, which is great. We want to be um, attentive to those things. But to take the earth... We have to shift our focus from just those things to an overarching um, definite chief aim, which is nations. Now, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came. He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, which is unusual, but now through Christ we have that, has been given to me. Therefore, so why is he saying therefore? Well, all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to him. Therefore, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, so he's not referring to just people. We get focused on going after the one. And that's great. Again, it should not be ignored. But God's focus is on nations. In fact, he views nations, uh, states, cities, counties as individuals, like they're a collective body or a collective mindset. So uh, if you see lots of prophecy to different nations in the Bible, that's what he was doing. He was speaking to them as if they were people. And he, by the way, will unite a nation with its ruler uh, as if they're one, because a nation will go in the direction of its ruler, typically. And so all authority has been given to him. Therefore, we are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, now, he got uh, the authority of heaven and earth. He said, tag, you're it. Go make disciples and nations, teaching them what I've taught you. Now, what he's implying is that if we do our job, the thought of a nation will begin to align itself with God's thoughts, his mind, his heart. The other implication is if we're not doing our job, then the nation will um, want to throw off the constraint of God in his presence, and they will be opposed to him. Therefore, the church, as a church goes, so does the nation. And what usually happens is if the church doesn't get her act together or the ecclesia, then she will begin to be persecuted. So our job is to disciple nations. When we do that, all is well with us. If we don't do that, then that nation will oppose uh, God, oppose his people, both Christian and Jew. Now, there's evidence of this throughout the Bible. There's evidence uh, of this throughout uh, history. I mean, Hitler is a good example. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't have time to get into all the examples of it, but all you have to do is even a cursory study of nations. You can see those that embrace God, it goes well with them. Those that don't, 
it does not go well with them and the church begins to get persecuted and then you see the decline of that nation into obscurity. Now in Genesis 1 27 through 28 it says so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created them, him male and female he created them. So by the way man or mankind there includes both genders there are not more than two genders in case you were wondering and so uh, the mankind is included in both uh, the the I'm sorry the genders both male and female are included in the creation of mankind so mankind is not referring just to males it's referring to all peoples and so he created them and then he told mankind be fruitful and multiply fill the earth subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth now the word dominion means rule interestingly in the arabic the twin word means tread or trample which is rada now let me read you this this is luke 10:19 from the passion this is jesus talking he says now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. Now he's referring to Lucifer or Satan because he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. So if we go back to the word dominion, which means rule, and then the twin word in the Arabic is tread or trample, we see Jesus restoring that authority to us uh, in Luke 10, 19. As we walk in this authority, we will tread and trample over the enemy in his kingdom, but it does require movement. It requires us to walk. So the enemy's uh, kingdom does have authority over the kingdoms of the world and their glory until the ecclesia changes that and that's in Luke 4 5 ultimately if we look at and unfortunately how the enemy's been operating versus how we've been operating we see that the enemy has been shrewd in seeking the influencers uh, on the mountains where we have not and so we've been uh, concerned with, you know, church attendance and ties and parking lots and memberships and buildings and pet doctrines and denominations and our own petty uh, arguments and grievances and offenses. There's been some of us that we have been focused on the kingdom of God and furthering it. But as a whole, as a church, at least in the Western uh, hemisphere, or let me just nail it down into America, we have been more concerned with things like that versus going after the influencers on the top of the mountains of media and government and education and all of those things. And so because of that, the enemy has gained an increasing control of those areas in this country. And he's literally um, basically influencing the thought of our nation in a certain direction. I mean, when you look at, like, when school was taken, or prayer was taken out of school, the Pledge of Allegiance was taken out, where was the church? Why were we not causing the stink that people are causing now over the law in Florida, which they're calling the anti-gay law, which the word gay is not even in there? 
they're saying that you can't say the word gay. It's not even in there. So they're throwing a fit, media's throwing a fit, etc. They're trying to get this thing fought. They'll probably take it to court. What were we doing when God was taken out of schools? So we've lost understanding of our role in civil government, where our focus should be, and in the marketplace, and how we're supposed to take nations. And again, we're paying for it here in America. I once heard someone say that if America sneezes, the world has a heart attack, meaning America is the superpower at the moment. If she's not healthy, the whole world suffers. And uh, so we have a responsibility, whether we like it or not, we're one of the greatest nations in the earth, even in the state of decline that we're experiencing, which can be turned around. It reminds me of a dream I had whenever we had a lot of debt. Uh, my husband's business had failed during the Obama administration, and during that time we tried to keep things afloat, and we got into some credit card debt, it's about $56,000. And the Lord began to give me dreams, and I would be you know, driving a truck, and it would, I would see a hole that the truck, the semi-truck, was about to go into, and some, you know, sometimes I was able to keep it from going in. Other times, it went in the hole, and it took tremendous uh, Herculean effort to get that truck out of the downward spiral uh, it was going into. And I knew the Lord was warning me about the debt and that we had to take care of it, which we did. Uh, it, it's an amazing story, but I talk about that in the wealth section of the church shift training, I believe. Uh, I feel like that's where we're at as a country. It's not hopeless, but it's dangerous. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of work. And unfortunately, many of us don't want to put that in uh, into saving our nation. We would just rather continue living our lives, going to work, enjoying our family, training at the gym, watching the shows we want to watch, all of those things. And I get it. I would rather do that too. But do you know why God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and Syria? Now, we know that Sodom and Gomorrah had homosexuality, and that was a big reason. But if you look in uh, Ezekiel and then with uh, Syria, I think it's 2 Kings, like, um, 15 through 20, somewhere in there. I'm sorry it's such a broad thing. I didn't bring my Bible. I mean, I've got my notes in here, and I got it on my phone, but I'm like, how can you get to the uh, church office or the ecclesia office, the hub office, and not have your Bible? But anyway, um, but they were both judged for complacency. And so complacency is a sin. And we've got to be willing to ask Holy Spirit, what is my role in my city, my county, my state, and my country. So our focus needs to be in the marketplace, which includes the political arena and the business arena. Now, for right now, I wanna show you the governmental and civil nature of the kingdom of God from the very start. So we've got Adam and Eve who were co-rulers in the earth and everything in it until they ate from the tree and they abdicated their rule to the enemy. The very first challenge post-flood was at the Tower of Babel from Nimrod, the first world ruler and conqueror who founded uh, Assyria and Babylon. God told Abraham that he would make of him a great nation, so he still focused on nations. Abram had his own army and fought other armies of nations and won. Abraham and his descendants regularly interfaced with world rulers and even made treaties with them as needed. 
From Jacob came the twelve tribes which formed the nation of Israel. Joseph ruled and was successful in all that he did, eventually becoming second to Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses is a very good um, picture of a um, uh, governmental pastor. A lot of people reduce pastor to, you know, taking care of the flock. I, I call them, you know, babysitting the flock, if you want to call it that. Uh, but actually, a true pastor is governmental in nature, forming a nation. And so he was trained in uh, Pharaoh's house, but he, he let all of that go, go. He left it all. And he helped establish the laws that governed the new nation of Israel. He was called a lawgiver, uh, and that came directly from God. He formed a worship system under the pattern that God uh, showed him. Then Joshua took Moses' place and led the Israelites into the promised land to drive out the nations and establish Israel uh, as a nation fulfilling the prophecy given to Abraham. God raised up uh, David to be the greatest king on the earth, followed by his son Solomon. Unfortunately, Solomon's unfaithfulness uh, to God opened the door to gross idolatry and judgment. Uh, each king interacted with other rulers. Solomon's fame, tied to the name of God, went throughout all the earth attracting world rulers to consult with him to solve problems. To me, he is the best example of the role of the ecclesia in the earth today. He's worth a study. All of the prophets interacted with rulers and worked with rulers to solve problems. Elijah, Nathan, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. I mean, their job was literally to primarily influence the kings of Israel and Judah, but they also addressed other kings of other nations. Daniel served the leaders of Babylon, uh, starting with Nebuchadnezzar through the Medo-Persian uh, rule uh, until his death, along with his friends and colleagues. Jesus was of the lineage of David, the first true king of Israel. He came to establish the kingdom of God, referenced in Daniel. He established his ruling council and gave us the charge to expand the kingdom uh, and disciple nations. He also uh, regularly interacted with both religious and political rulers. Uh, as directed by Holy Spirit. Paul is one of the best examples of a marketplace apostle and influencer, which I get into a lot in our um, Ecclesia and the wealth training. Uh, everywhere he went, he ministered to political leaders, governors, mayors, military leaders. Uh, in fact, his entire goal, other than evangelizing 70 nations to reverse the curse of Mount Hermon, was to get to Rome and speak with Caesar. So all of these examples in the Bible were not just concerned in growing a church in a building which didn't even exist at the time. They were concerned with being mobile and flexible and being able to get into the mountains and have influence over the influencers and take nations just as Jesus told them to do. Now, I want to shift gears because I've laid this foundation. I want to go into the leaven thing because this is where a lot of people think, well, we shouldn't be involved in politics because you know we can you know leaven and all that stuff and um there's even a term i didn't know there was such a thing um i don't know if i can remember it but it's like there's this term i guess among church pastors and leaders and stuff that uh if you're if if you're you know involved in the marketplace etc um you're going beyond the scope of mission or something like that and i'm like um how can you think that being involved in the marketplace uh, is against the scope of mission when Jesus gave us distinct instructions to make nations 
his disciples. So it's a very interesting mindset that has occurred. Part of it might be this scripture right here that we're going to read. Mark 18, 14 through 21, it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes do you not see, and ears do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said twelve, and the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. He said, do you not yet understand? Now I want to break this verse down so you know. That will be absolutely necessary, or what will be absolutely necessary to be an influencer in the marketplace, a solutionary, a marketplace apostle. So the phrase watch out means to come to understand as a result of perception, to understand, to perceive, to see, or organize. Beware is, quote, to be ready to learn about future dangers or needs with the implication of preparedness to respond appropriately. One is to recognize, the other is to prepare now to respond to future danger. Leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod is a future danger that the Lord is warning them of. So what exactly is leaven? Well, a lot of people are trying to over-spiritualize it, but he told us plainly what it is in Luke 12, 1. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. He said to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So the leaven is hypocrisy. Now, I want to read this verse in the Passion, both uh, Mark eight fifteen and Luke 12, 1 through 3. And as they were sailing across the lake, Jesus repeatedly warned them, Be on your guard against the yeast inside the Pharisees and the yeast inside of Herod. In Luke, it says, By now a crowd of many thousands had gathered around Jesus. So many people pushed to be near him, and they began to trample one another. So Jesus turned to his disciples and warned them, Make sure you are not influenced by the hypocrisy and phoniness of the religious leaders. It permeates everything they do and teach, for they are merely serving their own interests. Everything hidden and covered up will soon be exposed, for the facade is falling down and nothing will be kept secret for long. Whatever you have spoken in private will be public knowledge, and what you have whispered secretly behind closed doors will be broadcast far and wide for all to hear. Okay, so the hypocrisy it's hidden motives and agendas that serve the interests of the one hiding them while they act like somebody else outside. In other words, they're phony. Leaven in the Greek is a figurative expression that denotes hypocritical behavior, probably implying hidden attitudes and motivations. In Matthew 16, 6, Jesus also confined um, the uh, leaven as their teachings, which is hypocritical teaching, meaning they teach one thing, yet they don't do it. They live quite differently. 
So there's only one leaven that's permissible, and that is the leaven of the kingdom. Any other kind of leaven is destructible because it's sin. So the Greek definition for hypocrisy is to, quote, give an impression of having certain purposes or motivations, while in reality having quite different ones. It's to pretend. It was generally used for flattery or evil deception. It was originally used to describe playing a stage role. It's something God cannot tolerate. Idolatry is also a form of uh, hypocrisy. It's equated with falsehood and lying, especially in John, the book of John. It corrupts the conscience and cannot receive the truth. Its eye is on man, not God. It can only defend itself through the persecution of others. That's in John 8.37. What is outwardly performed is uh, most important versus what is believed in the heart. It's even tied to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So the opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity and purity. You're the same in front of people as you are when you're alone. You don't act. You don't put on a show. You're more focused with uh, inward transformation that manifests outwardly uh, versus the externals that mean nothing. Being real and authentic is a core value. You say what you mean and you mean what you say. So we can see that this is not saying to not be involved in the marketplace or in government. It's saying avoid hypocrisy. Don't become fake like they are. A lot of politicians are fake, you can tell. So we need to be focused more on inward transformation that expresses itself outwardly. Okay, so the warning is twofold. Number one, recognize and be ready for it as though you would any other dangerous thing and nothing that is covered up will remain hidden. I think this warning is uh, particularly important because when you start influencing influencers and nations, you're going to be around a lot of hypocrites. You're going to be pressured to be something on the outside that maybe you're not in order to feel included or to gain access to them. Jesus never adjusted who he was based on his audience. He spoke the truth to all. Now, you think it may not happen to you, but let me read you about Peter and Paul. In Galatians 1.10, it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, this epitomizes Paul. He learned how to live before an audience of one. He wasn't interested in man's approval. He didn't care if he got man's approval. Paul, or Peter, on the other hand, struggled in this area. In Galatians 2, 11 through 12, Paul is describing when he had to confront Cephas. He said, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For when certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circum circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So what was happening is Paul would act like a good, circumcised, religious Jewish leader when the religious leaders from Judea came. And then, you know, oh, yes, absolutely, I'm an observant Jew. Paul saw this because when they weren't around, he's eating with Gentiles, he's eating unclean meats, he's doing all kinds of stuff. And so 
Paul was afraid it was going to spread throughout the rest of the uh, ecclesia, so he put a stop to it immediately by confronting Peter. So anytime you feel the need to act, stop. You're in dangerous territory, and the best thing you can do is be a person of integrity, living before an audience of one. So again, Jesus is not saying that we don't get involved in political uh, endeavors. Of course, we need to be led. He is saying that if you are, don't become a hypocrite. Okay, so the next uh, lesson we'll get into the Christian and patriotism.